wonderful friends. Welcome to Faith FM Drive Time. Welcome to Big Q&A. Uh, this is the show where we respond to difficult questions concerning God and faith, contemporary religion and the Bible. This is the show where we look at world religious trends in the light of Bible prophecy. I'm Pastor Gary. I'm minister to the Brighton Seventh-day Adventist Church uh, in the beautiful city of Adelaide. Uh, I'm also your presenter of Drive Time every Tuesday and Wednesday. It is a fantastic privilege uh, to be able to share with you on this uh, very hot uh, Adelaide day. Uh, now, folks, this uh, this week uh, we're actually looking at uh, the subject of uh, prophecy, the Bible. And Nostradamus. Now there is a subject and a half. That's one that I, I believe has challenged uh, so many uh, people. And today we're asking, how reliable is biblical prophecy? And of course, what we're going to be doing is comparing that, uh, to, uh, that, uh, ancient, uh, sage that keeps being quoted throughout the media at the beginning of every single year, uh, called, uh, Nostradamus. Now today, uh, my co-host is again, uh, Brenton uh, Wilkinson and and Brenton has just transitioned to his very first year of uh, of retirement but I don't know how much he's actually slowed down. Welcome to you Brenton. Thank you, Gary, and uh, I don't seem to have slowed down much at all, as far as I can see. I hear you've been involved in ministry today, even. Ah, <laughs> oh, yes, yes, yes. There's, um, there's, there's plenty happening. There's plenty um, happening. All I'm doing at the moment is saying, Lord, if you have further work for me to do, let me know what it is, and it seems something pops up just about every day. That's a very dangerous <laughs> thing to say to oh, the yes, Lord, you is. know. Yes. Very, very dangerous indeed, it's particularly when you're strong check, and healthy. It? it is indeed, yeah. <laughs> is it hot enough for you today? Um, I think so. Um, if I was Still down in the southeast, uh, it probably wouldn't be quite this hot, but the, the heat in the southeast, Gary, is different. Because of the amount of rainfall they get, um, it can be very humid. 35, yeah, 37 yeah. degrees in Mount Gambier is yeah, very, yeah. very, very unpleasant. Yes, yes. Here, it's, I go outside, it's 37 degrees, I get in my car, it's 38 degrees. Yeah. Um, it's hot, dry heat, yes. and it's bearable. I love the dry heat that's yes, here in Adelaide. Yeah, to me, it's a, you know, to me, you go outside, even this morning, I mean, I was walking at between uh, six and seven and it was uh, sitting at about 25 degrees, yep, but it's a very yep. dry uh, heat yep. and uh, it certainly isn't oppressive no. like some places I've no, actually lived. No. Um, yeah, no, beautiful uh, spot to live here. Now, Absolutely. look, uh, Brenton, let's come to our, our World Watch uh, uh, segment. Now, uh, I've got something today that I really am looking forward to being able to Chat, uh, chat with you about. I uh, picked up a, uh, I like an article. Oh, it's, it's one of those that really jumped out at me. Mm. I actually uh, subscribed to the uh, Christian Headlines uh, yes. site, yep. and uh, and that particular site uh, uh, covers uh, so much that's happening in the in the religious world. Now, this article was entitled "Why So Many Are Choosing Couches." Over pews. Now, when I read that, I thought, "Wow, that uh, that sort of tickled my my fancy." Choosing couches over pews, and this is what the article said. And we will. I, I'll stop at a couple of points, and I'd appreciate your, your feedback. Um, today, the COVID nineteen pandemic and associated lockdown uh, seems to at least most of us like an extended nightmare of yesterday. Yes. Um, however, some of the ways that's changed our lives has in fact stuck with us. 
Yes. And then it goes on to say, one consequential change for individuals and our society is the large-scale exodus from in-person church services. Now, of course, this uh, this survey that was done is actually comes from the United States, and I, I think uh, the impact there has been far greater than certainly has been, certainly in my own church. Uh, my observation, yes. I think that, greater you know, over there than here. I'm not sensing that it's impacted yeah. us as much here, but there's a few things that arise yeah, from sure, it that I'd like to sure. like to come to. Um, though nearly all houses of worship have resumed regular in-person services in America, of course, uh, by this time last year, disappointingly, few Christians actually returned. Uh, there's the church, there's the steeple, there's the open door, but where are there's the people? The Researchers from the Survey Center on American Life and the University of Chicago found that last year, one-third of Americans admitted to never attending religious services, but this was up from one-quarter of Americans before the pandemic. Now, that's a fairly significant increase. It's certainly a statistically significant so, yeah. uh, increase. Uh, they also found that uh, no Lock, and I found this important. They also found no lockdown-induced surge in atheism nor drop in religious affiliation. Instead, for the most part, religious identity remains stable through the pandemic. So at the end of the pandemic, curious. people are actually claiming to the same extent to be Christian or non-Christian. And yet the church attendance itself has Dropping actually off. dropped. Apparently, large numbers of people who once identified as Christians have decided they no longer need to attend church. While COVID may have been the impetus behind the exodus, the root causes are pre-existing and so much deeper. Too many Christians think of church as they would an event, a concert, a TED talk, Optional experiences that can be just as easily be consumed remotely. When combined with pastors and leaders who view the core purpose of church as evangelism rather than discipleship or worship and are therefore willing to do whatever it seems to work, success is just as easily measured by logins and views after the pandemic, as it was by attendance numbers and growth before the pandemic. Now, look, Brenton, I, I mentioned that this is an American survey, and we yeah, do concede sure. that. Yeah, but that. Oh. look, do you, do you think? I mean, you've been a, a pastor now for mm. you know a dozen or, or so years. And look, do you think that it's easy to think of the church as a as an event, as a, as a concert, you know, a, a place where my needs have to be fulfilled. I mean, do you see any issues with that? Yes, I do see issues with it. But from my personal perspective, uh, let's reflect over the last three years that I spent in the southeast as pastor of the Mount Gambier, Millicent, Narracourt and Rendlesham churches. Yep, yep. I did not get the impression from any of those four churches that they saw church as an event or a concert. Or yeah. something of that nature. Yeah. One of the things that I tried to provide was strong spiritual food. I.e., yeah. my sermons are always Bible-based sermons. In fact, the whole of the sermon is basically based around an exegesis of a portion of scripture a or Bible portions, study. a Bible study, if you will. Yeah. 
Um, so I can't altogether with, agree with this. I'd be asking some questions, I think, regarding this survey. In an environment where you are sitting in a pew and the minister or the speaker for the day is sharing uh, the word of God and makes an appeal, it is m- much more difficult to refi- refrain from responding in a positive way than sitting sitting in your lounge chair and pressing a remote button. Do you think that there is danger <clears throat> that we actually come to view the worship service as simply an event? Yes. Yeah, I, I think there is the possibility that could happen because worship involves a number of facets, but number one of the main things is, as the scriptures uh, say in one place, that the time would come uh, where people would gather to themselves preachers or teachers who give them itching ears. In other words, they tell them what they think mm. they need to hear. Mm. I'm, I'm of the impression, Gary, more and more, that as, as life goes on and as the church goes on, we are not in church to make people feel comfortable. We're in church to make them be aware of their need, their need of Jesus. That's a fairly radical statement. Because it's a radical statement, but I believe, <laughs> I believe any minister who makes their congregation feel comfortable is not really preaching the Word of God. The Word of God is designed to show you your need and designed to uh, point out to you that the only remedy is Jesus, and that's why mm. you're there. Mm. So um, if you're just cruising along and... Um, a very well-known televangelist whose name I won't mention, he was asked by uh, the New York Times, I think it was, what his primary purpose was. This is a mega church yeah, person yeah, with yeah. 20,000 people. Yeah, yeah. He said his, uh, his, um, uh, his motto, or not motto, but his aim was to make people feel good about themselves. Yeah. Now, yeah, Revelation yeah. 3.20, which you and I know, yeah. talks about the Laodicean church, which we believe characterizes today's church. Yeah. Uh, we're told that. that of course, <laughs> that, that, in fact, is a, uh, that church that you're referring to is actually a, what's called Laodicean, or if you like, lukewarm, lukewarm. church. Uh, you know, it's, it's, it's actually rebuked by Christ, and Christ is actually pictured at the door knocking to come in, but yes. significantly, he's standing on the outside of the church. He's on the outside, and uh, the pictures you ever see of that, there's what, what's missing on the outside. There's no yeah. knob on the door. Yeah. You can't open the door to come in. You can only allow the person inside to open the door to allow you in. Mm. And I think um, it says that you are um, rich and increased in goods. Christ's assessment is you are wretched, miserable, poor, blind and naked. It's not a good assessment, is it? It's not a good assessment. So if you choose to absent yourself from church uh, for whatever reason, I believe you're missing not only fellowship, you're also missing worship. You're also missing the opportunity, Gary, to contribute to the church family, to the yeah, church body. Yeah. And you can't do that remotely and you know, by sitting in front of a TV One screen. of the things I'm conscious of, Brenton, is that <clears> there's actually on an onus on us as preachers because I know that at my church, one of the things that I really try to do with reasonable regularity is provide opportunity for people to be able yes. to share. Yeah. And testimonies. Uh, I, testimonies I, is what I'm actually talking yeah. about. That's, no, that's, that's, that's the old name yeah. for no, it. No, 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 that's, and that's uh, getting people to actually come up and share, hey, the good things that the Lord has done for them. 
And uh, I find that when that occurs, there is a silence that descends on the church. There's a people are engaged, people are listening, people are sharing, people uh, are sharing each other's stories. But in the in the process, they're actually uh, worshiping God. And to me, as I see that, I, I turn around and I say, "Hey, you know, this is something that." I know in my church, I mean, we do it, and certainly whenever we have a communion service, I certainly mm-hmm. do it then. Yep. But normally, uh, you know, once every month, two months, I will certainly involve that, uh, that type of a process in my, in my church. And You know another way you can do it? And I've tried this only once or twice. Maybe I should do it more often, even though I'm retired. I'm still getting plenty of preaching appointments. And that is this. Um, in a Jewish synagogue, the word of God would be presented and at the end of it there would be time for questions. Generally speaking, in any given church, whether it's Seventh-day Adventist or anywhere else, you don't generally find that pre- uh, feature. But I think that it's worth thinking about that maybe you finish the sermon five minutes early and allow people for feedback, for questions, mm. uh, that that also gives you. You've challenged me there, Brenton. You, You've that, challenged that me. That gives you, as the, <laughs> as the speaker, yeah, challenged me too. That gives you, as the speaker, the opportunity to assess. Yeah. yeah. What is happening? Um, are they listening? Are they taking it in? If they're asking questions, that's good. Yeah. That means they're yeah. engaged. Yeah. If they're just sitting there gazing at their mobile phone or looking around the room, well, that's I think also thing. it's a real challenge for us, even as you know, this whole issue is a challenge for us as preachers because yeah. uh, I, I think the demand increasingly is to be able to uh, present material that is biblically authentic and yes, uh, and engages the congregation. You know, to, to me, mm. when I uh, one of the things that I I struggle with. In fact, I I often pick two or three often of the young people and to me uh, I, I actually want to have their eye contact if I'm losing their eye contact if I'm losing their engagement I know that at that point uh, there uh, there is something there's something wrong with yes. uh, with my yes. own my own preaching and I'm conscious that today in fact let me just come to the end of this article because uh, this is uh, <laughs> that's a really interesting uh, I, 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 this is what it says much is behind the shifting shifting numbers and uh, it actually emphasizes the point that I was going to make could it be after decades of appealing first and foremost to whatever people People want and and editing to whatever they think. We've essentially discipled a generation that will only follow a church that leads where they want to go. In every age, a true and real Christianity finds much to critique as well as to affirm. If we aren't willing to challenge the sacred cows of our days, if we aren't uh, if we aren't up to preaching what Tom Holland called the weird stuff, uh, we will find. And perhaps even now we are finding that nobody is interested in what we have to say because we aren't saying much that's actually worth that's hearing. Strong, I mean, how, how do you respond to that? Um, that's a pretty strong statement, I think, really. Um, I'm, I'm rather um, challenged by that last, the first bit you read. Um, we've essentially discipled a generation that will only follow a church that leads where they want to go. Can I ask a question or make a um, just an observation. Please do, challenge us. How do you know what they want? I yeah. mean, these days they have um, National Church Life Surveys. Yeah. They have all sorts of surveys. In fact, I think we are over-surveyed. But yeah. really, the bottom line as, as, a, as a preacher myself is somehow in your preaching, 
whatever the subject, whatever the topic, whatever you're doing for the day, you have to show people they have a need that only Christ can yeah, meet. Yeah, because I know if myself. You, if you're not doing that, it does fall in the category of an event or a concert. Yeah, 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 yeah. And and, and that I think can become a performance yeah. rather than worship. That is in fact the big challenge that I think that both preachers and congregations are hearing today. To me, the challenge here certainly I I think is uh, almost more on preachers uh, to actually ask what are we actually preaching is does yes. it have biblical depth because yes. the, the thing that I, I know increasingly i mean what i'm trying to find is um i'm trying to present uh, relevance uh from the word of god but i am accountable to god not to man and that to me is i think the really essential element that uh, each of us as as preachers does need to look at and that means that there are certain things that uh within our uh that we are going to challenge within our environment i believe so um one of the things i've, I've said to my church in the churches in the past is this we try and f- feed them with strong spiritual food yeah. not spiritual mcdonald's yeah, French fries yeah. and onion rings and some yeah. fast takeaways. Yeah. Yeah. They rather giggle when I make that comment, but I said we're not in the business of giving people spiritual French fries. Yeah, yeah. yeah. No, we that's re- give them depth. really appreciate that. Well, really appreciate. It. Look, let's come to some music, and uh, of course, this uh, song uh, is really up the alley that we have just been talking about. This is Michael W. Smith, and the song is "Ancient Words." Uh, please, uh, please enjoy. Powerful, powerful song, uh, this particular song. Uh, Please enjoy. Holy words, long preserved for our walk in this world, they resound. With God's own heart, oh, let the ancient words embark. Words of life, words of hope, give us strength, help us cope. Changing me 
that was uh, Michael W. Smith and uh, the song, Great of course, song, Ancient one. Words. Don't you love it? Don't you love the words of that Do song? Do you know what that instrument is? I think it's called a penny whistle. Okay. If you want to uh, hear hear another version of it, listen to the theme music from the film Titanic, right. which is just being shown in the cinemas again on the 25th anniversary right. of the original Titanic from 1997-98. I think you'll find that instrument is a, called a penny whistle. Wow, wow. It's, Thank you so much Irish for that, Irish or Celtic yeah, or Gaelic yeah, yeah, yeah. or yeah, something no, or it's very nice. Yeah. It's very nice. Look, <laughs> guys, um, welcome back. Uh, it is fantastic to have you as uh, uh, a part of our uh, of our congregation today because that indeed is, uh, is indeed what, what you are. Now, folks, look, uh, we do have a giveaway for you today. Now, our giveaway book all this week, and this is another real beauty. Uh, this book is entitled Four Winds of Revelation. Um you can't turn on your TV or open your internet browser without the next catastrophe hitting you in the face. The toll taken by natural disasters, flooding, fires, drought, tornadoes and more. It seems to grow worse with every single passing year. The world is coming apart at the scenes. More than 2,000 years ago, the Bible predicted that all of this would happen. Now, our good friend... <coughs> Our good friend Kenneth Cox, excuse me. Our good friend Kenneth Cox, he put it all together. Uh, the uh, the book is entitled Four Winds of Revelation, and the author is Kenneth Cox. Now, if you um, have watched some religious broadcasting, you have probably seen Kenneth uh, Kenneth Cox. Brenton, are you familiar with Kenneth Cox? Very familiar with him. Um, actually, you may or may not be aware that he passed away, I think, last year. Okay, okay, I didn't realise that. No, I did read that somewhere. I think it was last year sometime he passed away. Um, Kenneth Cox, in my humble opinion, is one of the best and simplest Bible expositors of Bible prophecy. Yeah, yeah, I agree totally. I agree totally. He was a preacher of renown. Mm, And uh, this is one of his books, uh, Four Winds of of Revelation. And uh, uh, it digs into what the Bible says about the crisis that we are facing and uh, shares uh, what the Bible tells us about the future. This book is a real beauty. Uh, Now, look, guys, if you'd like your own copy of the Four Winds of Revelation, all you need to do is to text us. Now, our studio text number is 04 11 and all you need to do is to send in that text our code for today, and our code is SA104. SA, no gap between the SA and the 104, just SA104. One zero four, and uh, that will trigger our robot, and uh, he'll come back to you. He'll ask you a few questions, get some information out uh, off you, so that uh, uh, so that you uh, will be able to uh, receive this book in the fastest possible way. O four triple eight eight o eight eleven, and the code is SA one zero four, and the book is Four Winds of Revelation by Kenneth Cox. You'll love uh, this uh, uh, this particular book. Now you are listening to Faith FM Drive Time, big Q and A with Pastor Gary, and today our co-host is Brenton Wilkinson. Now Brenton has just moved into retirement after functioning as pastor in the southeastern district of uh, our South Australian state uh, over the last uh, last three years, and this week uh, we're looking at the uh, theme, Prophecy, 
the Bible and Nostradamus. Uh, uh, and today we're asking how reliable is Bible prophecy? We're going to compare it uh, with some of Nostradamus's prophecy. Now, you know, there has been so much at the beginning of every single year, Brent. And the thing that I, I notice that there's always articles out about what Nostradamus Ooh, has predicted absolutely. for this yeah. particular <clears throat> year. Now, look, one of the things that I, you know, I, I was actually just digging around the internet and I, I discovered uh, one, what, one of those things that I discovered was that would have been, that would be the scoop of the century. And, uh, it was an article written by a, um, a Nostradamus prognosticator and, uh, it was entitled King Giles III to abdicate um, yeah, I read the same thing. You know, I sort of I got that. I sort of thought, wow. I mean, uh, this is uh, I, I haven't read this anymore. Has Nostradamus predicted an extreme shock to come for King Charles III and his British British monarchy? Or is it just one author trying to turn into a prophet? Text from the supposed future-seeking 16th-century prophet astrologist have been interpreted to mean that the newly crowned king will enjoy only a short reign uh, due uh, to his past. Well, I suppose that's seventy odd. Uh, you know, I mean, uh, I think uh, he's seventy-four, isn't it? Something like that. Yeah. Something like that. But hey, you know, but his dear mum um, went to what ninety-six, something like that. Something. Like that, yeah, in but which I, case he might have another twenty years. He could, <laughs> Brent. And I, I read that and I sort of thought, "Hey, I mean, you heard that here first, yes, but uh, I mean, I, this is one of those statements oh, that is yeah. supposedly linked back to our friend Nostradamus." Nostradamus. Now, uh, Brent, you know how many prophecies he gave? No, so, I don't. Tell me, six thousand three hundred and thirty-eight. Oh, is that right? And they were all in the form of what's called a quatrain. What's a, what, what's a, a quatrain? Quatrain is four. Lines. It's a bit like a a small, a little um, poem, like a little poem. Yeah. Uh, to give you an example, um, one of the things that he allegedly predicted for this year is the Third World War. Now, some people might be saying he's on the mark there, but note what he said: seven months in the Great War, people dead of evil doing. Rouen, which is a, a um, city in France, and Evreux shall not fall to the king. Now, out of that... There has been some sort of a conclusion... That that's the Third World War, or a Third World War. The problem with Nostradamus is that his um, his um, utterances can be interpreted a number of different ways. And often it's easier, after the event, to say what he meant was this, whereas if you're making the event... If you're talking about the event as future, it's a bit more dangerous. Now, you touched on King Charles, but let me share a couple of more with you. Did you know that Pope Francis is not going to be around after this year? Oh, is that what he says? He's going to abdicate this year, or he's going to be removed, whatever. And a Pope by the name of Peter is going to take over, and he's going to be so corrupt that the Roman Catholic Church will fall. Now, that's one of the predictions for 2023 along with the third world war another one is a statement that uh, nostradamus made a royal palace will burn Mm -hmm. how are we to interpret that that's the end of the world according Mm -hmm. to some but how do you connect this to 2023 i mean do you understand how that's uh, connected he died in 1566 yes 
And uh, the only thing that stopped him being hauled up before the Inquisition, I believe, was that he wasn't considered to be dabbling in magic, but it must have been very, very close to it. Wow. Um, and, of course, those of us who are listening and those of us who are on air today, if you've done any study at all on the Inquisition, whether it be the yeah, Spanish yeah, yeah, Inquisition yeah. or any other Inquisition, yeah. it's not something you would want to come up no, indeed, indeed, indeed. Yeah. Okay, so I take it, Brenton, that you don't actually uh, put a lot of store in uh, in Nostradamus well, predictions. Some people have suggested he has a success rate. Some have suggested he has a success rate of seventy percent. I would like to actually uh, believe that um, we have in the Bible someone who has a 100% success rate, mm. and that's what we're going to look at. But even that 70%, you know, some of the prophecies that I've seen, uh, Brenton, to me is incredibly dubious because, I mean, they appear well, they're to, so general. They're so general. That's mm. the thing, you know. I mean, they're you open can just to... just about make them say anything you want them to say. That, yeah. That's the problem. I'm not doubting the sincerity of people who read his stuff yeah, yeah, and yeah, believe yeah, it. Yeah. I'm not doubting that for a moment. But I am saying to myself, when I read this type of stuff, how do you get that out of this? Many statement? of the interpretations are actually created after the event. Yes, not well, before that, the that's event. the danger that yeah, it's created yeah, after yeah. the event, but before it then doesn't become prophetic. Yeah. It becomes retrospective. Yeah. 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 <laughs> In retrospect, yeah. this is what he meant to say. Whereas prophetic is making a bold statement. That is clearly able to be understood. It has been able to be understood. And in the future, when it's fulfilled, people look back on it and say, that's what was said and that's what happened. Yeah, yeah. It's, yeah. In other words, it's clearly identifiable. You know, very, I, very I really clearly. think that this is actually so important. If, in fact, you're going to talk prophecy, you have to be able to talk about material <laughs> that is able to be clearly identified. In other words... By be, ordinary people. By ordinary not, people. Not people, people with a PhD in theology. Exactly, exactly. And that's important. That is a, Because if God did that, a very small portion of the people on this planet would ever understand Bible prophecy. Okay. Whereas I believe Jesus, most of the people Jesus talked to about prophecy were disciples. Mm. Uh, his disciples, who were they? Any PhDs in theology there? No. No. Fishermen? Tax collector? Common man. Common people. Common people. That- I'm not, I'm not de- denigrating people with S- significant degrees. degrees. Yeah. I'm simply saying that what is revealed in Scripture, particularly in regard to prophecy, yeah. should be able to be understood by the ordinary person sitting in the church yeah. pew on a Sabbath or Sunday morning. Yeah, okay. Look, I'm <laughs> I'm conscious that our time's starting to get away from us. Now, yeah, look, um, Britain, let's let's just dig into you know our subject for today: how reliable is biblical prophecy? Now, look, is you know what we're suggesting is that biblical prophecy has got a success rate that is. Um, that is so so far in advance of what Nostradamus um, mm. uh, success rate uh, that you you stand well. I stand in total awe at it. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, one of the important things is that Christ made a comment, or God made a comment in the Book of Isaiah, and you probably know it. That I alone can tell the future. I can tell the end from the beginning. Mm. And um, one of the one of the serious tragedies today is that twenty million people every month uh, searching the internet and whatever to find out how the world is going to end. Yeah. You've you've read that statistic. I've read that statistic. Is it just America? Is it worldwide? I don't know. 
I don't know where the statistic comes from, but I've read it in a number of places. And it indicates to me a huge number of people every month are really, really worried about the future. And they're trying to find what the future holds. Whereas if they read the word of God, they would realize that here is the God of heaven saying, I alone know the future. Give us some examples. Give us some examples. I'll give you an example. Yeah, 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 yeah. Let's um, start with a guy called Daniel. Yep, yep. Now, who was Daniel before we start? Daniel was actually probably a member of the royal family of Judah before he was taken captive by King Nebuchadnezzar of Babylon Uh in, we believe, about 605-606 BC, Uh the first time Nebuchadnezzar came. He actually came down three times. He destroyed Jerusalem. Yep. We had 605 BC, 597 and 586. Yep, yep. The last time was when the temple was destroyed. Yep, yep. Now... Daniel was taken captive along with some of his friends. We surmise that he was around 16 or 17 years of age when he was taken captive. He was trained in the arts of uh, Babylonian society. Nebuchadnezzar was a smart cookie. Mm. He didn't just take his prisoners captive and then execute them. Mm. The smartest and brightest he trained up in the ways of Babylon with the intention of sending them back into the provinces and that sort of thing, maybe as provincial governors, CEOs or whatever, Mm. and they owed their allegiance to him because he had trained them, he'd paid for their education, he'd paid for their food, he'd paid for everything. So Okay, so what did Daniel do? Well, um, in Chapter 1 it tells you that, um, first of all, he started out by saying, we don't want to eat the king's food. Uh, or drink the drink that's provided by by the king. But in chapter 2, in 602 BC, we find an interesting story. We find that Nebuchadnezzar has a dream. Mm -hmm. Now, in those days, dreams meant a lot. Yeah. Yeah. And uh, without – I know that time's our enemy, but if I can uh, synopsize this as much as possible, that he had this dream, he called in all his Chaldean um, soothsayers – If you read Daniel chapter 2, and can I encourage our listeners to get the Bible out after we're off air, read Daniel chapter 2 for yourself because – So what was the dream? (laughs) Well, the dream was actually about an image, Mm -hmm. but he – I believe God had miraculously removed it from his mind Mm -hmm. because when he woke up, he could not remember what the dream was. Okay, so we have an (coughs) image – that was uh, now, now as I he would as I, understand images because yes. he's a heathen and they would worship it in front of yes. images and idols. But this was an unusual image because it wasn't made mm. of all the same metal. No, no, all different types. You had a head of gold, you had a chest of silver, you had thighs of brass or bronze, you had legs of iron, and yeah. you had feet of iron and clay. In other words, it was an amalgam. This is an uh, this is an unusual, <laughs> most uh, unusual. Yeah. Mm. Now he can't actually remember. His, his he can't dream. remember the dream, and he certainly doesn't know what the interpretation is, even if he could remember the dream. And he's a real autocrat. He actually oh, says, absolutely. hey, look, you know, I want you to interpret it to his traditional soothsayers. And what's their answer? Uh, you tell us the dream, and we'll give you the interpretation. Do you know how they divined uh, the future? They looked at clouds at sunset. Wow. They looked at the livers of sheep. And somehow or another, by doing all of these things, they claimed to be able to foretell the future. Mm-hmm. And I think he's got these guys in here, and he's, he's basically saying to himself, I think these guys are phonies. Mm. 
because mm. some people say to me, but Brenton, it's a bit hard to say we're going to execute the lot of you because you can't tell me the dream or the interpretation. But actually what he was asking them was not particularly unreasonable. That's what their job was. That's what their job was. They were paid by the public purse. They mm-hmm. were paid by the state. Mm-hmm. To foretell the future. They should have been able to tell him what his dream was. But in verse 10 of chapter 2, it says, they said to him, no king has ever asked anything like this. Let me read it to you as quickly as I can. The Chaldeans answered the king and said, there is not a man on earth who can tell the king's matter. Therefore, no king, lord or ruler has ever asked such things of any magician, astrologer or Chaldean. It is a difficult thing that the king requests, and there is no other who can tell it to the king except the gods whose dwellings are not with flesh. Of course, what they're recognising <laughs> is that traditionally he would tell the dream and then they would be able to Give concoct a, uh, some sort of a response. Relevant word, concoct an answer that satisfied him. But on this occasion, he simply says, I can't remember the dream, so I want you to tell me what the dream is, and then I want you to tell me what the answer is. Now, of course, that's an incredible test because, you know. (laughs) know, How do you do that, you know? And 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 hence the response of these guys. What do they say? Well, um, he says to them, I know, I know what you guys are up to. You're stalling for time. Yeah. And he said, um, I'm going to execute the lot of you. And because Daniel and his three friends had passed their three years of training and uh, were regarded as now regarded as wise men, they were included in those to be executed. Wow. So when the king's executioner comes along to um, Daniel and his friends and says, You guys are off with your heads, he says, Hang on a minute. Um, What's going on? Mm. And. um, Part of the story in Daniel chapter 2 is that Daniel goes in before the king and says, King, can you give me a bit of time? Yeah. Please? Give me a little bit of time. What I find interesting about this story is this story is um, chapter 2 is the answer that God gives to a man who was not a Christian, not a believer in the true God, but God loved him and wanted to show him what the future held because I believe that... Um, the dream he had, even though he couldn't remember it, he seems to have had some premonition that it was about the future. Yeah. And being an autocrat, all autocrats are concerned about what happens after them. Exactly. Uh, Vladimir Putin's in that boat at the moment. Exactly. As we are talking, he's roaming around in a uh, train with three engines, mm. doesn't mm-hmm. appear anywhere at the front. The the uh, car the the rail cars are heavily armoured. Mm-hmm. In other words, he's sneaking around from place to place to place in, yeah. <laughs> in this yeah. machine. Yeah. In this particular case, uh, he's saying, "You tell me. I want to know what the future holds. Yeah. Yeah. I pay you to do this." And the beautiful thing about this particular prophecy <laughs> is what we actually have is that Daniel, of course, in just a moment, is going to actually give the interpretation. But the thing that's 
angers me is the way that uh, it is just so incredibly accurate. It actually oh, it actually climaxes. I'm going to get you to share it in just a moment. We're going to sure. go to some music, but mm-hmm. it actually goes right through to our own day. It does. But it's bang, 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 bang. It was just it's just so incredibly accurate in everything that it says. You know, for uh, for the next two thousand years, history is actually outlined. In fact, if you go to uh, a future prophecy in Daniel chapter seven, you actually get the the kingdoms of this world being named before they've uh, they've actually come into existence and to me I find that absolutely remarkable but look we're going to come to this in a moment Bren let's come to some some music uh, just now because our time is starting to get away from us no, this is okay. Bill and Gloria Gaithier and the the song is I have returned uh, to the God uh, of my of my childhood please please enjoy To the same simple faith As a child I once knew Like the prodigal son I long for my loved ones For the comforts of home And the God I outgrew I work my way homeward 
Savior of all is the comfort to Good that, song, uh, it's marvellous, isn't it? That's uh, Bill and Gloria Gaither, mm-hmm. I Have Returned to the uh, God of My Childhood from the album Israel, and uh, beautiful. Uh, really appreciate that uh, that song. Now, guys, look, we do have this uh, giveaway book for you today. Now, look, I can't recommend this to you enough. It is done by uh, uh, Pastor Kenneth Cox. He's one of the Prince of Preachers. Uh, he's an, been an evangelist for many, many years. Uh, he preaches simply... He writes simply. Uh, and this particular book is only a short book. It's not a long one, but it's entitled The Four Winds of Revelation. Uh, you can't turn on your television or open your internet browser without the next catastrophe hitting you in the face. The toll taken by natural disasters, flooding, fires, drought, tornadoes. The list just goes on, grows worse and worse each year. The world is coming apart at its seams. Now, in this book, The Four Winds of Revelation, Pastor Kenneth Cox examines what the Bible says about the crisis that we're facing and shares what uh, it tells us about the future. Should you be afraid? No, no. The Bible offers a hope. Uh, Jesus is coming soon. Now, look, guys, this is a, a book that I'd really recommend to you. If you would like your own copy of this little book, uh, please um, text please us at uh, text us at uh, 04 808811 04888811 and the code that you you need to put in your text is uh SA104 104 uh, SA104 no uh gap between the SA and the uh 104 and uh, that'll go through to our robot and uh, robot will uh, uh contact uh, contact you, um, ask you a, a few questions so that we can get this book to you in the fastest possible way. I believe you'll really love it. The Four Winds of Revelation, 04-888-808-11, and the code is SA104.
Now you are listening to Faith FM Drive Time, big Q&A with Pastor Gary. And today our co-host is Brenton Wilkinson. And Brenton has just moved into retirement after ministering uh, to the Mount Gambier District uh, here in uh, in South South Oz. And uh, this week we're looking at uh, the theme, Bible, the Prophecy and Nostradamus. And today we're asking how reliable is Bible prophecy? Now I really appreciate what you've been sharing. You've been sharing about just one prophecy of Scripture that is just so clear. Um, just Absolutely. give us the interpretation of this uh, this prophecy, uh, Bren. Okay. As I said earlier on, um, he saw in his dream an image. It had a head of gold, chest of silver, thighs of bronze, legs of iron, feet of iron and clay. The head of gold, according to verse 28, but I'm going to share the first bit of the verse first. This is the dream. So notice, first of all, he said, this is what you saw. What you saw. So he was able to tell yeah. the dream. He said to the king, what you saw was an image. Yeah. Now I'm going to interpret what the image means. So in verse 28, he said this. Now we will tell the interpretation of it before the king. But then he says this. You, O king, are a king of kings. For the God of heaven has given you a kingdom, power, strength and glory. And then he goes on to talk about wherever people are, you're in charge, basically. And he says, you are the head of gold. Now, mm-hmm. the you can be interpreted two ways. You personally, but your kingdom. Yes. Because as yes. we know, Babylonia was known as the golden kingdom. Yes. yes. After you will come an inferior one. Now, it's inferior in the sense that, oh, there's been all sorts of interpretations as to what it means, but... Babylon was the golden kingdom. It was one of the richest kingdoms ever on earth. Medo-Persia was silver. Greece, which is the bronze. Yeah. Alexander the Great and his successors. Then the iron monarchy of Rome. And then down to the feet of iron and clay. But the important part of the what Nebuchadnezzar, I think, wanted to know was now that he's had explained to him, even though he's not happy, I mean, any time you tell a king after you will come another kingdom, yeah. you're not exactly going to be jumping up and down in your yeah. chair going, yeah. yes, 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 yes. yes. <laughs> um, so that's not the out- the outcome here. Uh, but the bottom line is that um, along comes a rock. At the very end of the right story. Right at the end of the story, and it yeah. smashes the image yep. to such a degree that it it says that it becomes like powder, mm. and the wind comes along and blows it away. Now, the rock becomes a great mountain and fills yep. the whole yep. earth. Yep. Notice uh, the Babylonian kingdom did not fill the whole earth. Yep. Yep. Uh, the Medo-Persian kingdom did not fill the whole the earth. The second one. The Greek yep. one didn't fill the whole earth. Yep. Neither did the Roman one. Yep. It filled portions of the world that we know about. And here's another interesting thing in prophecy, and it's just something for people to bear in mind. Prophecy in the Bible relates to where God's people are and how it affects them. Uh So therefore, you're not going to have a prophecy on, on the hand dynasty in China. The thing I You're not going to have a prophecy on the Aztecs in Mexico. The thing I appreciate <laughs> Breton about this particular prophecy is what Daniel actually reveals to the king is there's going to be um uh, there's going to be your kingdom followed yep, by followed another by, kingdom followed, followed by, by another, another one yep, followed yep. by another one followed yep. by a divided kingdom before the uh, end of uh, end of the the world and Christ establishes his, his kingdom. own kingdom and mm. you know to me if if I was uh, if I was um, you know trying to foretell the future 
in 600 BC. You know, I mean, how do a person guess that, you know, there's going to be four kingdoms followed by a divided kingdom before the, you know, we get to our particular era. And that's exactly the way this whole thing did actually work out. Yeah, and when you look at all the um, various people down through the ages who have tried to unite the ten toes, the ten kingdoms, and we won't name them because time is running out, but I do want to share this with you, verse 44. In the days of those kings, which kings? The iron and the clay, what we call the the ten kingdoms of divided Europe. In the days of those kings, the God of heaven will set up a kingdom. Yeah. The difference, which shall never be destroyed. Yeah. So what do we learn from this? We learn one key thing. The world is not going to end. We are not going to have the Third World War in 2023 because the God of heaven is going to set up a kingdom. Mm. Mm. You know, God of heaven can't set up a kingdom if yeah. we've been wiped out by nuclear annihilation. Yeah, there is going to be a climax to this world, oh, but going to the be way in which it climaxes has <laughs> actually been revealed within the Word of God. You know, Britain, one yep. of the things I really appreciate is that if you actually go to Daniel eight, you actually get a a, a repetitious pro- prophecy yeah, there. You do. But the thing yeah. I love about this particular prophecy in Daniel yep. chapter eight, uh, and is that the kings, you know, these are the kings according to this prophecy of Media and Persia. Yeah. Yes, the male goat that. is the kingdom of Greece. These kingdoms using animals instead of an image. Exactly. And they are named, however. You know, Brenton, to me, in 600 BC, to turn around and to name the first, the the next two world kingdoms, to me, is just uh, mind boggling in the extreme. Yes. Uh, You know, Brenton, when I look at this, I turn around and say, hey, when I compare this sort of accuracy to what people like Nostradamus, uh, Nostradamus were others. able to present and mm. others were mm. able to present. This is I, rock solid. This is rock solid stuff. Mm. You know, this isn't something Pardon that you the can... Pun. Exactly. <laughs> this isn't something that yeah. you can turn around and you can just simply say, hey, you know, and maybe yeah. this is some guesswork in here uh, because... Can I read verse 45? Please do. Mm. Please do. Okay. Inasmuch as you saw that the stone was cut out... Um, of the mountain without hands. That's an interesting thing. Mm. The image was formed by people. The rock is not formed by any human being. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That's, that's an interesting point. So inasmuch as you saw that the stone was cut out of the mountain without hands and that it broke in pieces the iron, notice he goes in the reverse now, the iron, the bronze, the silver and the gold. Yep. The great God has made known to the king what will come to pass after this? After this means after you. Yes, 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 yes. But then it ends on this note. The dream is certain and its interpretation is sure. Now, did Nebuchadnezzar believe that? Yes, he did, because if you, as a listener, get your Bible out and read Daniel chapter 3, the very first thing it says in a couple of verses later is that Nebuchadnezzar built an image. We believe exactly similar to what he saw in his dream, but this one was all of God. All of God. Indicating that my, um, you may be telling me that after me is going to be another kingdom. I'm telling you my kingdom is going to endure forever. Brenton, thank you so much for that. Really appreciate that uh, that confidence of, of that all that prophecy is able to share. Let's pray together. Father in heaven, Lord, we come to you now. Lord, I want to say thank you for giving us your word. 
Lord, thank you for giving us the prophetic word. Uh, Lord, thank you uh, for caring for us for an, enough uh, to reveal the future to us. Uh, Lord, I just pray that we indeed uh, might be able to daily put our lives into your hands yes. and into your control. I just pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Well, folks, it does look like our time's up for today. Thank you so much for joining Pastor Gary and Brendan Wilkinson on Drive Time Big Q&A. Please join us tomorrow when Pastor David Butcher is going to join us and we look at the incredibly specific nature of prophecy. Really look forward to being with you. But until then, please remember Christ said, I'm leaving you with a gift, peace of mind and heart, and the peace I give isn't like the peace that the world gives. So don't be troubled or afraid. May our God richly bless you. This program has been made possible by the support of Adventist World Radio.